Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message. Powerful Parables, Part 2. I want to encourage you to please turn to Mark chapter 4 today. And the title of the message is Powerful Parables. This is going to be part two of a two-part series that we started last week. So Mark 4, the title of the message is Powerful Parables. I want to wish you a happy Palm Sunday. And of course, if today is Palm Sunday, you guys know what next Sunday is, right? Easter, seven days away. And so that's why we put the Easter invite cards on your seats. These are for you to take home, not as a reminder for you to come to church. Uh, You already know to come to church, right? This is for you to hand to someone else. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, Pray for the person in your life that doesn't go to church anywhere. Pray first before you give them the invite. The reason why is because we know that the Holy Spirit's got to go before us and prepare hearts before people are even open to the things of God. So pray. And then hand them the card. Invite them to one of our five services next weekend. Okay, please pray for me. Pray for our staff as we do five services next weekend. So Saturday is going to be 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Sunday is going to be 8.30, 10.30, or 12.30. And so it would be great if you smiled as you hand this to somebody. That's always important to smile, right? And so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, those of you who are really gung-ho and you like to pass these things out, we have stacks of them in the foyer. You can have as many as you want, as long as you promise to pass them all out, okay? Don't take them and and then um, leave them, because that's a waste of of the church's money. So I want to encourage you, be praying about our Easter services next week, and we're going to see what the Lord is going to do. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Worship was amazing, wasn't it? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. We are very blessed here at Calvary. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to get into the word and see what God wants to do in this service. And so, Father, we thank you so much that you've given us a priceless gift, the scriptures. And Lord, we know that you're the one who said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Most of us have already eaten physical food today. But Lord, help us to remember that we're not just physical beings. We're also spiritual beings, and we need spiritual food. We need manna from heaven. Jesus, I thank you that in one of your great I am statements, you said, I am the bread of life. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do uh, what only you can do, and that is to, to feed the flock of God, the word of God today. Help us to have hungry hearts for your word. Help us to have thirst, spiritual thirst for living water. And so we commit the rest of the service to you. We ask that you would help us to pay attention, to humble our hearts, and to receive the word that you have for us in store. We ask all these things, obviously, and of course, in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, all right, if you have been with us in our verse-by-verse-by-verse study of Mark, then you know by this time in the Gospel of Mark, 
Israel's leaders, 2,000 years ago, Israel's leaders have already hardened their hearts and they've already rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They've even gone so far as to say that Jesus is possessed by Satan and that he does power uh, miracles in the power of Satan. And as I've said for the last three weeks, man, that's a low blow. That's as low as you can go. Now, how would the Lord respond to the rejection of Israel's leaders? Well, later on, he'll say to them in Matthew 21, verse 43, he looks at Israel's leaders and he says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be, and be given to a people producing its fruits. And so what future group of people as you finish Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get into Acts, specifically Acts chapter two. What group of people would produce fruit for the kingdom of God? Well, it's the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the church was born and the rest is history. And so because Israel rejected their Messiah, you need to know, if you're new to the Bible, that the physical kingdom, the visible kingdom, the, the Davidic kingdom was put on hold, and a spiritual kingdom was inaugurated by Jesus through his church. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees, this is well after the Israel's leaders had hardened their hearts and rejected Jesus. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees asked the Lord Jesus when the kingdom would come. Very interesting how Jesus now responds to them. He says, and I quote, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Neither will they say, here it is, or, or there it is, for indeed, listen to this, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, and so in between the two advents of Christ in between his first coming and his second coming, the present spiritual kingdom of God would not have physical borders. It would reside within the hearts of born-again followers of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense to you guys? So the physical kingdom has been put on hold. Last year, we spent almost a whole year going through the book of Revelation. We talked about the physical kingdom and how one day it will come to the earth and the promised Davidic kingdom will be established and Messiah will come, Jesus will come, and he'll rule and reign physically. But right now, in between the two comings of Christ, there is a present spiritual kingdom. It's not physical, it's spiritual, it's not visible, it's invisible, it's not outward, it's inward. And the way Jesus chooses to describe this kingdom is through powerful parables. And so after Israel's leaders had rejected Jesus, Jesus' teaching style changes, and he begins to speak often in powerful parables. So by way of review, what is a parable? If you're taking notes, a parable is an earthly story with what kind of meaning? A heavenly meaning. And so Jesus wants to describe the spiritual kingdom in between his two advents. And so what does he do? How does he describe it? Through parables. He tells earthly stories that para come alongside and illustrate the kingdom of God. As you look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark 
and Luke, what you find is that there's almost 40 of these parables. So it's amazing the amount of times that Jesus speaks in parables. And I want to remind you also from last week that parables were given to reveal and to conceal, right? Parables were given to reveal truth about the present spiritual kingdom of God to people who have a soft and humble and receptive hearts. But the exact same parables, almost 40 of them, they were given to conceal truth for people who think they're all that, for people who have hard hearts, for people who are arrogant and prideful. And so... As Jesus spoke in these parables, humble people with receptive hearts, they would be listening, and all of a sudden, boop, the light bulb would go on. Eureka, I understand what he's saying. Sometimes if they didn't get it, Jesus would go to his committed disciples, and he would explain the parables privately to them. But as he's given the same parables, proud, arrogant, hard-hearted people would walk away scratching their heads, thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? And so last week, we dealt with the parable of the sower, probably the most famous, if not one of the most famous parables of all. This week, we're going to look at the three other parables. In Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34, we're going to first of all look at the parable of the lamp, and then we're going to look at the parable of the growing seed. And then finally, we're going to wrap things up this morning with the parable of the mustard seed. Now, here's our goal today. If you're with me, say amen here. Here's our goal, that as we learn or relearn these three parables about the present spiritual kingdom, we will understand that there is a king. His name is Jesus, and he wants to reign over our hearts. We're going to learn truths about how we can be more submissive and what this kingdom is all about. So let's start with the parable of the lamp. We're going to start in verse 21. Now, those of you who have been around Calvary for a long time, we're starting in verse 21 because last week, what verse did we end with? Verse 20. So if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. Verse by verse by verse. And by the way, here's one of the reasons we do this, okay? One of the reasons we do this is because I have no desire right, to give you my points, Mike Wiggins' points, and then use some Bible verses to back up my points. What I want to do is I want to give you God's points. What does God have to say as we go through his word? And so verse 21, and Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so what is the present spiritual kingdom like? Jesus said it's like a light illuminating the darkness. So in those days, a lamp consisted of a simple ceramic bowl. Obviously, in those days, when they, before they had electricity, they just had a simple ceramic bowl, and it had two openings. The center opening uh, was where you poured olive oil into the ceramic lamp. 
The side opening is where you put a palm fiber wick down into that olive oil. Then you would light the wick and the olive oil would fuel the fire. Okay, so with that picture in mind, I want you to read with me again in your hearts. Verse 21, Jesus says, is a lamp brought in, the idea is brought into the house, to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. In other words, Jesus is saying nobody comes home at night and lights their lamp and then says, hey, honey, can you bring that basket over here? Well, why? Um, I just lit the lamp, but now I want to cover it up. Jesus says, nobody does that. Nobody lights a lamp and then says, oh, I'm going to put it underneath my bed. No, what do they do? They put it on a stand. Now, in those days, poor, modest homes, a stand was simply a shelf on the side of the wall. Richer people could afford, afford the more elaborate, standalone type of lamps, and so, um, why in the world would people put a lamp on a stand? Here's why. It's very simple, right? They put a lamp on a stand to dispel the darkness and to illuminate their house. We do the same thing today. Tonight, when you go home, when it's dark in your house and dark outside, when you open that door, what's the first thing you do? You switch on the, uh, on the light. Or some of you, you walk in your house and you do this because you have the clapper. They're still available at Walmart, by the way. <laughs> I've always wanted one, I've never, never got one. And so whether you flip the switch or whether you clap your hands, when you do that, what happens in your house? The same thing that happens in my house. The lights go on, the darkness is dispelled, and the rooms are illuminated. Now, what would happen if we walked into our houses tonight, went in the front door, the house is pitch black, and we did not turn on the lights. What would happen? One word. Pain. <laughs> Have you ever tried to walk through a room that's completely dark? Like guys, when you have to use the restroom in the middle of the night, and so you don't want to wake up your wife, you don't want to put on the lights, and so what do you do? You get up, you try to be quiet as you can be, but the next thing you know, boom, you run into a wall, you stub your toe, next thing you know, it's, ouch, honey, are you okay? And then you woke her up anyway, right? I'm so glad that now on our iPhones, we have these little lights so that guys like, like us, our age, we can navigate through our bedrooms with the iPhone, right? And so what is the Lord trying to say to us this morning? What he's trying to say is, I want to save you from needless pain, so why don't you turn on the light? I want to save you from walking into walls and stubbing your toes. So why don't you turn on the light? Okay, so who's the light? Jesus. Jesus said in, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And so what does all this mean? Well, the parable of the lamp is talking about how the light of the world dispels the darkness and illuminates the lives of those who do what? Follow him. That's the key. Because wherever Jesus is, there's light. So as long as we're right here with Jesus, 
guess what? Our lives are illuminated. But if we're lagging behind, we're in darkness. And so I have some questions for you I want you to answer in your heart. The question I have for you is, are you tired of walking in the darkness? Are you tired of slamming in the walls and stubbing your toe and hitting your head? Are you tired of experiencing needless pain in your life? If so, here's what you need to know. God loves you, and he wants you to come into the light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Did you know he's always been the answer? People today, you know, they, they say, hey, man, you need to go out there and change the world. I disagree. Somebody already came and changed the world. His name is Jesus. All we need to do is get behind him. <laughs> Exalt him. Point to him because he's always been the answer. Now look at what he says. I want to really make sure you get what he says. Look again at verse 21. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here's what you need to know, that when we get tired of walking in darkness and when we come to Jesus, the light of the world, he wants to shine his light into every room. Please say every room. Every single room in our hearts. Here's why I stress every room, because some people, when it comes to their heart, they're like, okay, Jesus, you can come in this far, but stop. And the Lord's like, well, what's behind you? Um, that's a closet. Well, I want to go in there too. No, I'm sorry. Why not? Because I got some stuff back there. I want to shine my light into every room of your heart. Why? So as it says in verse 22, the things that are hidden can be made manifest and the things that are secret can come to light. So son, so daughter, you'll stop tripping in the darkness and you'll start walking safely in the light. That's why. Why? Because he loves us so much. Look at the promise of God in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. There's no doubt at all whether or not God is a forgiving God. There's no doubt at all whether or not God is a merciful God. Of course he is. His son hung half naked on, on a cross and paid for all of our sins. And so here's, here's what I know by God's grace it is so wonderful and so sweet to walk in the light. It is so wonderful and so sweet to walk with a bunch of people who are also walking in the light of Jesus. And it's so wonderful and so sweet that when we mess up, if we go back to the light and walk in the light, the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us, please say cleanses, of all sin. And all of a sudden, not because we're so good, but because he's so good, we have a conscience that's clear. The things that were hidden have been made manifest. The things that were secret have come to light. God is glorified. He has lit us up. And then once we're lit up, 
Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world, but once he lights our torch, now he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And what does Jesus want us to do in Matthew chapter 5? He says, I want you to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How many, how many of you know we live in a dark, dark world? Okay, we're the church. Have you been lit up by Jesus? Then let your light shine. Now here's what you need to know. As you shine your light, which is, by the way, the light of Jesus, because we have no light in and of ourselves, but as you shine your light into the lives of other people, some people will say, yes, man, I need some help. Why? Because they have softened, humble hearts. But other people, don't you know, they're gonna say, uh-uh, no, 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 get your light out of here. Now, why do they respond that way? Because Jesus said in John chapter three, verse 19, that people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And so here's my encouragement today, that if you got some hidden things and you got some secret things, things that are displeasing to God, if you got a room that's closed off and you don't want Jesus to go in there, today's the day to surrender to the king of your heart and let him illuminate every single room in your life. Not only that, but let those hidden things come to light it's better for those things to come to light now while Jesus is being merciful and forgiven than to let those things come to light later at the judgment when he stands as a judge. Because here's what you need to know. Everything's coming to light. Paul said in Romans chapter two, verse 16, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Go to Jesus now, his arms are open. Let him illuminate your darkness. Don't wait another day. Now, he wants to apply this parable, and by the way, all the parables, so follow along verse by verse. We're now in verse 24. And Jesus said to them, can you see the passion of Jesus as he's teaching? He says to them, pay attention to what you hear. Now, why does God have to say that 2,000 years ago? Here's why, because people had the same problem 2,000 years ago as they do today. Their minds wander during the teaching of the word of God. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand whether you struggle with this or not, but everybody does. And so Jesus himself says, pay attention, wake up. These are words of life. These are words that'll set you free. He says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use, in verse 24, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken Away. And so concerning the parable of the lamp and all his parables, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention, Jesus would say, to my teachings. Why? Because when it comes to Jesus' teachings, verse 24, with the measure that we use, it'll be measured back to us. 
In other words, when it comes to spiritual growth, the passion, the receptivity that we have to the word of God, the passion and receptivity that we have to hearing the teachings of Jesus and then heeding them, the passion and receptivity that we have in learning the parables and then living them out, that passion and that receptivity that we have is reciprocal. That's what he says in verse 24. Look at it. With the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. And not only that, he goes on to say in verse 25, that the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. David Guzik, one of my favorite commentators and a fellow, fellow Calvary Chapel pastor, this is what he says about these this passage. He says, Jesus reminds us that spiritual growth follows momentum, positive or negative. When we have the godly habits of receiving the word and then living it, well, more is built on that. But when we lose those godly habits, they're extremely difficult to get back. And so the Lord wants us to have passion and receptivity when it comes to his teachings. In other words, Lord, here's the parable of the sower. Would you help me to learn it and then live it out? Lord, here's the parable of the lamp and the growing seed and the mustard seed. Would you help me to learn it and then help me to live it out? In fact, Lord, here's the Bible. Would you help me to learn it I'm gonna start in the New Testament and I'm gonna get a good foundation in the Gospels and the Apostles' teaching, but then after I got a good foundation in that, I'm going back to the Old Testament because it's just as inspired as the New, and I'm gonna learn all about um, uh, the, 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 the law, and I'm gonna learn all about the historical books and the poetry and the prophets so that it all begins to make sense. Lord, would you give me a passionate heart? Lord, would you give me a receptive heart? How many of you, you can raise your hand, would love to experience exponential spiritual growth? Would you like to? He's telling you how right here. He says, continue to learn and live out my teachings every day. And when we do that, here's what happens. Positive spiritual momentum takes place in our lives and more, he says, is given to us. What more? More knowledge more wisdom, more passion, more growth, more fruit, more grace from God. But it's reciprocal. So look at verse 24 again. With the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. That goes the opposite way too. So if we're not learning and living out Christ's teachings, here's what happens. After a while, we used to be running, but then all of a sudden, yeah, I just, I don't really feel like it. And so the Bible stays closed all week. Yeah, I don't really feel like going to church, so we don't come and hear the word of God. And we, we had the spiritual momentum, but now it's slowing down. It's reciprocal. What measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now all of a sudden we've stalled spiritually, we've broken down spiritually, and Jesus says, not me, Jesus says that eventually what you have will be taken away from you. 
In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so if you're new to Calvary, I wanna give you some resources to help you learn and live out God's word. Those of you who've been here a while, you know about these, but I wanna encourage you to go to blueletterbible.org. Now here's why I recommend these resources. Because on quote unquote Christian television, there's a lot of heresy. On quote unquote Christian television, there's a lot of aberrant practices in theology. I'm not saying it's all bad. You know, there's still guys like Charles Stanley on Christian television, praise God, watch him as much as you want, he's solid. But on a lot of Christian television, there's, there's just plain out junk. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds pretty judgmental. Well, put yourself in my shoes. I'm the pastor, the shepherd of this church. You're the flock. God's given me a stick, and he wants me to protect you from wolves. So here's one way I can do that. Here's one way I can do that. I can give you some solid resources. And so if you've never been to blueletterbible.org, I encourage you to go there, click on help. The little drop-down window comes. Click on video tutorial, and they'll explain how to use their very comprehensive site. And so on blueletterbible.org, you got solid commentary from guys like the late Chuck Smith, David Guzik, Matthew Henry, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, doesn't get better than that, um, R.A. Torrey, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanna encourage you to um, use that free online tool. And then there's another online tool that's great. It's called gotquestions.org. I've been using this for years. 99% of what I've been reading for years, I agree with. These guys are solid. And so if you have any questions about the Bible or religion or spirituality, this is an awesome, awesome website. And then if you still like to carry around your leather-bound Bible, praise the Lord, I, I do too. Uh, I know most of you guys have your smartphones and mobile devices, but some of you guys like to hold it in your hand. And so I always encourage people to get the Ryrie Study Bible. And ESV is the translation that we teach out of here at Calvary. And so there's some good resources for you. Jesus wants us to pay attention, to be discerning about what we hear. Now he's gonna continue to describe the present spiritual kingdom with the parable of the growing seed. All right, so, so look at verse 26. Here we go. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He's like, how in the world is this happening? Verse 28, the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. And so what is the present spiritual kingdom like? Jesus said it's like a farmer scattering seed onto the ground. And so I want you to picture the farmer. He goes out his back door. There's the field. And he throws the seed out into an empty field. He's already plowed it, but he's thrown the seed out into that empty field. And then he just goes about his life. And so while he's sleeping and rising, both night and day, somehow, here's what happens. The seed, boop, it just sprouts. It germinates, it sprouts, it begins to grow. 
And the next thing you know, the farmer opens his back door and boom, there's a field filled with corn. And he's thinking, wow, how did that happen? The seed has germinated. The stalks have grown. First the blade, then the ears, then the cobs. Here's my favorite part. Then the kernels on the cob. Anybody hungry for some corn on the cob this afternoon? And so now the farmer's ready to get his sickle. He's ready to go out in his backyard, cut down some corn stalks, and harvest the corn to feed his family. Jesus says in verse 27 that the farmer doesn't know how all this happens. All he did is he was just faithful to toss some seed into a plowed field. And the next thing he knew, he has a field full of corn. The farmer doesn't know how this happens. But how many of you know that God knows? God knows how this happens. God knows because God caused the seed to germinate. God caused the corn stalks to grow. And he grows his kingdom in the very same way. So what's this parable all about? Very much like the parable of the sower last week. And so the seed, that's God's word. It's where the power is. The field, that's our hearts. And the corn stalks, if you want to talk corn, we could talk wheat. But the corn stalks, well, that represents our lives. So here's how it works. The, the seed of the word of God is tossed out into the human heart. And then what happens is that sometimes it falls on softened, plowed, humble, receptive hearts. Can I, can I say it again? I think this might be the second or third time I've said this, but how many of you know that the Holy Spirit must go before us and he's gotta break up the fallow ground? He's gotta prepare hearts. This is why prayer is so important before evangelism occurs. Prayer is so important before the word of God is shared. And by the way, we have an amazing prayer group of people uh, that meet um, every single week praying for you that God would break up the fallow ground. We have all these life groups. What are they doing? Praying that God would do a work. And so when the seed, God's word, is sown into the hearts, hopefully they're receptive and plowed and humble, then what happens is that the spirit of God takes the word of God and he and he alone causes that seed to germinate and give new spiritual life. And he and he alone causes that seed to sprout and causes that seed to grow. And the next thing you know, you got a corn stalk. And the next thing you know, you got a whole church filled of corn stalks. I'm looking at you guys right now as a bunch of corn stalks. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor Mike? What I mean is that in this room, there's a bunch of mature believers and you're bearing fruit. You're nourishing other people spiritually. And I praise God for you. I praise God for you. Thank you. Thank you for not just going to church. Thank you for being the church. And by the way, it's all because of the Spirit of God taking the Word of God. Isaiah said, so shall my word be. God said through Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. Okay, so here's some spiritual inventory. Don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hands. Three questions between you and the Lord. Okay, number one, you need to ask yourself, have I come alive spiritually? 
I didn't ask if you're religious. I didn't ask if you go to church. I didn't ask if you're a good person. What I'm asking between you and the Lord is have you come alive spiritually? By the way, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who can make us alive. The second thing I wanna ask you is are you growing spiritually? Do you see yourself as that, um, that corn stalk that continues to grow and grow and grow? And not only that, question number three, are you bearing fruit? where other people are being nourished spiritually because of your life. If you have not come alive spiritually, if you're with me, say amen here. Listen to this. If you have not come alive spiritually, you need to know that God loves you, his son died for you and rose again the third day, and he wants to send his spirit to give you spiritual life. What you need to do is you need to surrender to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And let him add to the present spiritual kingdom, a new child of God. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so let God's word do its work in your life. And now we come to the third parable. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Please look at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Now, real quick, everybody look at me. I don't wanna be redundant. I just wanna make sure you see what's happening in the scripture. What is Jesus doing? He's describing the present spiritual kingdom of God in between his first coming and his second coming. How's he doing it? He's describing this kingdom through parables. It's exactly what we just read in verse 30. And so what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground, and by the way, on the ground, in the Greek, the word is G-E-G. So when it is sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the same exact word, G-E-K, on the ground. And the reason I point that out is because some people have accused Jesus of not understanding that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, but Jesus didn't say on the earth, he said on the G, <laughs> on the ground. In other words, the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds of the garden plants in Palestine in the time of Christ. I just thought I'd throw that out so you don't think Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Verse 32, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So what's the present spiritual kingdom like? It's like light illuminating darkness. It's like a farmer scattering seed. Now he says, it's like a mustard seed. All right, so the mustard seed was the smallest of all the seeds. Again, not in the earth, but in Palestine, first century, it absolutely was the smallest seed of the various garden plants. And Jesus said, man, even though that's the smallest seed, 
when it's sown and it grows up, it becomes larger than all the other garden plants. And so I don't know who this guy is, <laughs> but he's probably, I don't know, maybe six foot. So if he's six foot and he's reaching up, that's about eight feet. So that's pretty big. But I was, as, I was, um, as I was studying this week, I found out that some of these mustard plants grow to 15 feet. And that must be the one that Jesus is talking about because in the parable, he says that these plants go, grow so large, they put out branches so the birds of the air can come and make nests in their shade. All right, so what is all this illustrating? What is the parable of the mustard seed about? Here it is. Even though the church would start small, it would eventually grow large enough to benefit the whole world. The church started really small, didn't it? One Messiah. And then after a while, it grew to 12 apostles. Then after a while, it grew to 120 disciples in an upper room praying. And then the next thing you know, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls. Peter preaches Christ. 3,000 people believe and are baptized. The next thing you know, you keep reading, you get to Acts 4.4. Now the church, the Jerusalem church, the first century church, has 5,000 men, not including women and children. So you include the kids and the, and the, and the wives. It's about 20,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. And then the next thing you know, you got guys like Paul and other missionaries, and they're going out spreading the gospel and planting churches all around the Roman Empire. It starts as this little seed, but it continues to grow and grow. Why? Because Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. By the way, that's the key. We try to build churches with programs. We try to build churches with kind of cool, slick stuff. No, 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 no. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Check it out. In Jerusalem, little tiny thing. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in the last 2,000 years, the church has continued to grow, spreading out its branches all around the entire world. Two guys I really respect have some very interesting comments about this parable. I want to read them to you. And so please listen. I'll say what Jesus said. Pay attention to what you hear. If you have ears to hear, hear this, okay? So John MacArthur says this, and I quote, it is from the teachings of Scripture through Christian witness that high standards of education, justice, the dignity of women, the rights of children, prison reform, and countless other social benefits have come. Whenever the gospel of the kingdom is faithfully preached and practiced, the world benefits. John Phillips said this, listen to this. Everywhere the kingdom of God has gone, it has brought with it hospitals and schools, truth, morality, ethics, decency, compassion, and above all, salvation. It has built orphanages, 
cared for the sick, comfort the bereaved, and help the infirm. Even the unsaved have found shelter beneath its branches and found comfort and a better lifestyle in its shade. It started as a mustard seed. It started with just a handful of disciples, but then eventually it became a universal church. And here we are today in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to wake up as the church because our forefathers are dead. Their work is done. The sun set and their work is now done and they're in heaven with Jesus receiving the rewards that they should get. But now here we are and there's another generation and we're still the church. And so as the church, we have to continue the work. We gotta continue to show Christ's love to the whole world. We gotta keep building hospitals and schools. We gotta keep supporting orphanages, caring for the sick, comforting the bereaved, and helping the infirm people. Why? So that the people, like the birds of the air, can find shelter beneath our branches. That's why. It's important, that's why. Man, we started with a handful of people in a living room 14 years ago. Look what God has done. God did it. Why? Because we were a mustard seed, and now we continue to grow, and he wants us to share God's love and be an influence to saved and unsaved people alike. He wants us to influence people, not us four no more, not just going to church. Don't just go to church. Be the church. Be the church. You say, how? What do I do? Don't just come and sit in a row once a week or twice, twice a month. Start to connect at church and in a Calvary group during the week. Start to serve in a ministry group. There's hundreds of things to do around this church and in other uh, outreaches that we have around the community. Start to connect. Start to serve. Start to grow in your personal Walk with Jesus, be passionate about the, the, the teachings of Jesus Christ every single day of your life so that you can have spiritual momentum. And not only that, start to invite people to come and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And if God opens the door, tell them yourself. And not only that, reach into your wallet or your purse and start supporting financially the work of God in this place. We are so excited about someday building a Christian school across the street. Calvary Christian Academy, why? Because ladies and gentlemen, we're not just gonna give them an excellent education, we're gonna open the Bible and give them Christ's teachings as well. We're gonna equip them and train them and disciple them to take Jesus' message of love to the world. That's what you call being a mustard seed and growing into a mustard plant so that they can fulfill the, the call of God on their lives as well. And by the way, and I say this without any shame, your tax return is coming. Pray about what your donation can be to Calvary Christian Academy. Did you guys know we're raising money? Here's where you say yes. Go to calvarypsl.com, click on future school, ask God first, Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe a one-time donation. Lord, what do you want me to do on a regular basis? You say, wow, that's pretty bold, Pastor Mike. Here's what I want you to do. Invest in the future. Invest in these kids. 
Not only are we excited about Calvary Christian Academy, we're excited about our ongoing relationship with Global Vision Citadel Ministries, GVCM. Why, so you can feed the orphans? Well, yeah, that's pretty important, right? Feeding orphans, isn't that in the Bible somewhere? But it's not just to feed the orphans, it's to keep going down there with different groups four, five times a year so that we can build relationships with these kids and help the GVCM program to disciple them to become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ as well. This is why we're excited about our ongoing relationship with CareNet Pregnancy Services. It's the best way we know how to be pro-life. Because here you got an organization on the Treasure Coast, and what are they doing? They're helping young women in crisis situations choose life for their unborn babies. What's more important than that? That's important. Not only that, we're excited about all of our relationships with all of our other organizations that we support, both here and abroad. We're excited about seeing our missions and outreach ministry continue to grow into the future. Why? So that believers and unbelievers can come and find shelter beneath our branches and find comfort in our shade. Exactly what Jesus Christ is saying here in the parable of the mustard plant. And so I hope you'll join us not by just coming and sitting, by coming and connecting and serving and growing and inviting and giving. And so our last two verses and we're done. With many such parables, almost 40 of them, he spoke, get this, he spoke the what? You see that? That's where it's at. Teach the word. He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so Jesus shares many powerful parables because he wants us to learn about the spiritual present kingdom we're in right now in this age of grace. And he wants us to surrender our hearts to him as king. Amen? And so here's how we're gonna end the service. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and you'll be dismissed. If you're visiting with us, Make sure that you do what Pastor Bob said. You go out those doors, turn right, go to our next steps area so that you can get your free gift, your book, and your coffee mug. But if you need prayer, um, we make ourselves available. In fact, prayer partners and elders can come on forward right now. I'm so glad we started a Saturday night service because what this has done, it's given us time after services, not to be in a rush to get the next service, but to minister. And so if you need prayer about anything in your life, that's what these prayer partners are here for after every service. You can come and receive the ministry and the prayer that you need. Here's the most important thing. If you're here today and you have no idea whether you're part of the kingdom of God, you have no idea where you're going when you die, we'll have pastors and elders up here in the middle. And by the way, they're all great guys and they would love to be able to share with you how you can know that you know 
Jesus is your savior and king, and heaven is your home. Nothing's more important than that. And I stress this every single week. And by the way, it's been beautiful to see the fruit already this weekend, to see the tears of humble people with, with receptive hearts saying, yes, I need Jesus. Because ladies and gentlemen, just because your parents may be Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. You gotta personally turn from your sins and receive Jesus. Maybe today's the day, I hope it is, for you to come and do that. Um, also, I wanna reiterate, if you'd like to be a life group leader, um, see Pastor Jacob or a member of his team in the Next Steps area as well. Uh, we wanna launch 35 new groups this next semester, and so we're looking for people who are willing to be able to just open the Bible and go through Mark. You know, Pastor Jacob will give you discussion questions on what I preached, where we are in Mark, and you just open your home up, you pray with people, you develop relationships, and you go through those questions and go deeper into God's Word. I wanna ask you to stand for closing prayer. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. The seed has been scattered. We pray that you'll do the work that only you can do in hearts and lives. Father, I pray that those who need Jesus would make their way forward, Lord, and receive the gift of eternal life today. And Father, I pray that as we prepare for Easter services next weekend, that you'll give us divine appointments to invite the people that you want us to invite. We love you and praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.